What a wonderful name it is, amen? The name of Jesus. That's the name that we need to be remembering uh, in these dark days. I was thinking this morning from Ephesians 5.15, it says this, Be careful then how you live, uh, not, as, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. This last week, as we look out in our world, we can see that the days are, are getting darker, amen? But let me encourage you with this. It's because of the beautiful name of Jesus and what he has done on the cross of Calvary and his mission that will go forward that will bring light into these dark days, amen? And as the days get darker, his light in us shines brighter, amen? So there is great hope for this world because of what Jesus Christ has done. And this morning, we're going to continue our journey through the book of Acts, diving into Acts chapter 3. This chapter offers us a powerful lesson here this morning of being spirit-empowered witnesses who are not only willing but ready and available to be used by God for His divine purposes. You see, the book of Acts is a remarkable account of the early church's transformation and growth. It's a story about ordinary people transformed by the extraordinary power of God through the Holy Spirit. And we're going to dive in today in chapter 3, and we will witness a captivating story that amplifies what it means to be a spirit-empowered witness in our own lives, in our own time here today. In Acts 2, Pastor Calvin was teaching through this, we witnessed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, empowering the disciples to boldly proclaim the Gospels. But now in Acts 3, we are actually going to see the effect of the empowerment in action. But church, this is not just historical account. This is a lesson for us today. It challenges us to examine our own readiness and availability to be used by God as instruments of his love and grace in a world that so desperately needs it. So many people are searching. So as we journey through the next 26 verses, let's open up our hearts to the message it holds. This message, when we peer through, is a message of empowerment. It's a message of availability and readiness to be used by the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. So let us explore how we can become spirit-empowered witnesses who are always prepared to respond to the call of God and make a difference in the world around us. As we go through our text today, we will have four points, but I wanted to make it easy for us as a church to remember. So I came up with an acronym. We are people of the Spirit, and we are people of the Word. So to help us in our toolbox of discipleship, I use the acronym WORD, which stands for Watchful, Obedient, Redemptive, and Direct. So as we go through our text, I'm going to teach through those, and hopefully we can add another tool in our toolbox to be used by God as we go out and share His message of hope. Amen? You ready? All right, let's pray. Well, God, you call us a people of your very own. We have been bought with a price. We belong to you. And today, God, we want to thank you for your Holy Spirit that dwells powerfully in your children. In a world that is falling, you are calling people out of darkness into the wonderful, marvelous light of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, you are the hope of this world. And this morning, we declare you are the author of life. Oh, God, you are the great Redeemer. And you have chosen us 
your children to be your spirit-empowered witnesses. So I pray that you would help us learn from your holy word today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts 3. I'm going to break up our reading. Usually we read it, the text all at one time, but I'm going to break up our reading into four sections, and I'm going to start with 1 to 11. So join me, Acts 3, 1 to 11. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gates called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gates called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pause there. So Peter and John are heading to the temple for the time of prayer. The early church had not yet broken away from the formal Judaism. Therefore, the apostles continued in the set times and patterns of prayer. And we can see from our text that it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the same time when Jesus cried out, it is finished on the cross. The guys are focused. They knew the power of prayer. There was one time when they were with Jesus, and they asked Jesus, teach us to pray. So they knew that there was power in prayer. They knew that Jesus would often go along on, off by himself and seek the Father's attention, would pray to the Father, and miracles would happen. Powerful things would happen. So the guys wanted to set the example for power through prayer. Pastor Kelvin taught us last week that the apostles in Acts 2 would gather and they would pray and they would break bread and they would teach and they would fellowship in each other's homes. And people were being added to the number daily. And the scripture says in Acts 2.42 in that section that many miracles were being done. So the guys are on a mission and they're focused. Hey guys, John, let's go. We, it's time to go. We have to get up to the temple. It's time to pray. But this day was very different. The scripture tells us that they encountered a man, a certain kind of man. The author, Luke, says this was a man who had been lame from birth. So this was a man who needed assistance every day to get to the temple. He couldn't go on his own. He needed to be carried. He would have been a burden to people who were carrying him there. His bagging post was one of the most beautiful places in all of the city. And there is a historian, his name is Josephus. He was a secular historian of the time of Jesus. And he talks about this bag and post where this man was laid. It says, it tells us that the gate was 50 cubits high, which is 70 feet high, 75 feet high is these gates, 40 cubits wide, so it would be 60 feet wide. And he says that it was overlaid with Corinthian bronze and was such a work of art that it far exceeded in value the other gates that were plated with silver and set in gold. So this was the spot, this was the begging post where the, the beggar was put every day. So he would have been known by people. This was a major entrance into the temple. It's the backdrop of the, the, backdrop of the beggar who had never once since birth was able to step forth in the temple. He could only go to the gates where he was placed. 
So the beggar sat on his mat and displayed his disability, and the scriptures teach us that he would beg for alms. Do you have a few cents to spare? And he probably did very well because the gospels shared with us that the Pharisees loved to show off what they would give to the poor. So I'm sure this man in this place was an easy target for the religious elite to flex their prosperity and charity. But this day was different. This day, Peter and John were in line to go into prayer, to go into the temple to pray. And the beggar saw Peter and John, and he asked, can you spare some change? And the scriptures record eye contact, expectation, and a response that changed his life. The scriptures say, says that Peter tells the man, look at us. Give me your attention. Focus up here. The expectation, the man was probably thinking he was going to get a few cents from them. But Peter's response changed this man's life forever. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. This leads us to our first point of the text. The, the spirit-empowered witness, us, with the Spirit, can only pass on what we have received. Peter and John say, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give. What I do have, I can give. Peter and John were given the Spirit, and they were given the power of the Spirit. So to this man, they imparted not silver and gold, but something much better, power, in which they received. They were given the Spirit, which they could impart because of the power of Christ. When I was doing the research this week on this text, I was looking at the preaching the word commentary by James Hamilton, and he said this about that moment. He said, they had within them the spirit, the counselor, the parakletos that we see in John 14, 15, also known as another helper like Christ. He's, Paul was the one that declared in Galatians 2, 20, that it is Christ that lives in me. It was Christ that lived in Peter and John as well. They were members of the living Christ. They were partakers of the divine nature. They could impart the power of Christ because they were full of Christ. As we look at the book of Acts, Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and this power is given for a reason. You will be my witness. In Acts 2.4, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in tongues, speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And as Pastor Kelvin taught us a few weeks ago, that Peter's first sermon, 3,000 were added to the number that day because the Spirit enabled them with the power of the Spirit, we are witnesses. Acts 3.6 says, in the, same, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Get up and walk. The healing that took place that day changed this man forever. The beggar, Peter commanded the beggar to walk in the name of Jesus Christ. The text shares that instantly the man's feet and his ankles, they became strong. It is described here in the text as, here by Luke as a coming suddenly into socket of something that was out of place. It was the articulation of joint Medical, medical language from the medical doctor, Luke. Peter and John knew that they had the power of the Holy Spirit. They trusted in Jesus' promise. They believed him when they said that he would be their witnesses. And that day on the way to prayer, they just didn't walk on by. They stepped forward and they gave what they personally received. And the result from this man, for this man who is lame from birth, well, we see it in verse 8. 
restoration. He jumped to his feet, it says, and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. From now on, this man's life would forever be changed. His old life is gone. He has a brand new life in Christ, and it is just beginning. No more needing assistance to get to the temple. No longer needing to beg. He could take his place in society, maybe work a job, maybe contribute to others, contribute to his community. What had happened this day was Christ had given him a a new opportunity to walk a new path. He was once an outcast. But now, as the scriptures share, restored and brought into the family, he was now a part of the church. God adding to the numbers daily, those who were being saved, he would have been invited to pray, to break bread, to go to communion, to fellowship with the other believers, to be a part of the church. Restoration. Luke records in Acts 2.42, he says that many miracles were being done by the apostles. And here it's like Luke wanted to pull back the veil to reveal exactly what was going on. The power of these miracles that led to a great witness of Jesus Christ. For the first time, this man walked into the temple courts. And the first thing that we see in the scriptures is he is jumping and praising God. Oh, how the church needs to get this. The second thing that this man has received from the text in verse 9 is joy. It says, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, this man had joy. He wasn't just at the post anymore. He wasn't just sitting there, can you spare a few cents? He was up, moving, walking, jumping, praising God. This was drawing much attention. This man's pain had been turned to joy. I was thinking this week, how much pain did this man go through over his life? How lonely was this guy as an outcast? How many times did this man dream about a new life, wishing things were different? How many times did this man want to go into the temple on his own as he walked Every day, seeing people, religious religious leaders and people, Jews just walking by him and being able to go in. But today was a different day. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, though there is pain in the night, there's joy in the morning. The miracle became a witness to the power and glory of Jesus. See, miracles are never to be the focus. They are the means to bring about witness. God said, you will be my witness. He didn't say, you'll be my miracle worker. Even though miracles are true and still happen today. Church, do you believe that miracles happen today? Yes, but they are not the focus. They lead us to being able to be a witness for Christ Jesus. Look at verse 10. It says, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gates called beautiful. They knew who this guy was. But this guy today was forever changed. He's not the same guy laying on the mat. What? This guy's up praising God, running around. Shouting for joy, it said they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. He was now a witness. He was a walking billboard, a megaphone for the glory of God. This man's life went from beggar to living testimony to the power of God because of the healing. Peter declared in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. 
God brought healing in this man's life, forever changing him. Church, do you believe that God brings healing? Do you believe that God can still do this? Some of us doubt. Some of you know my story with my wife, Laura, who went to be with the Lord three years ago. I was looking back over uh, the information that I have about our journey with cancer, and uh, we battled cancer together for four years. So I went back and I did the, the math of, of what I had, and it was 1,460 days. 1,460 days of, of treatment, of, of going to the doctors, uh, uh, of doing all kinds of things. And I know lots of people know and understand exactly what I've been through because you're going through it now or you've been through it. And I'm sure if you're walking with somebody who's been sick, you're praying. I prayed every day for the healing of my wife. Every day I would seek the Lord. I would spend time in the morning. I would spend time when we were at treatments, asking the Lord. And I was estimating just thinking about a 12, 16-hour day of going through treatments, I must have asked the Lord, I, I believe it was over 20 times a day for the healing of, Lord, uh, of Laura. So for four years, 1,460 days, maybe 20 times a day, that's 30,000 prayers I asked the Lord to heal my wife. And on the day she passed, I went into her room. I can see this right in my mind. I kneeled at the right side of her bed. I bowed my head and I thanked Jesus of Nazareth because he healed my rib and he kept his promise. God still heals. And it took me a while to understand that. I always thought, why would God take a 38-year-old woman and leave a husband and three kids in ministry alone? But Jesus, is, Jesus has healed Laura. She has no more pain. She is with him now. And I realized about a year later that this would be a part of my story, that I would be a witness to what God had done. That even though she is gone, I am here and I get the opportunity to preach and teach about Jesus as the healer, as the miracle worker, as the guy who is the one we need to put our trust in. So does God still heal? Yes, he heals every single day. And if you want healing, you need to pray into that. And sometimes God will heal you now and sometimes God will heal you later. But God keeps his promises and he does heal. And we are witness to this. The spirit-empowered witness can only pass on what they received. And if you have the Lord Jesus in your life, what does that mean for us today? Then you have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwelling inside of you. Which means for our toolbox, our first W, as people who are spirit and word, we need to be watchful. Peter and John were watchful. They were ready for the opportunity to be Christ's witnesses. They knew what they had. They had faith in Jesus which was worth much more than a few pennies. It was worth, it's worth much more than silver and gold. They knew and understood that they could change this man's life with what they possessed. We need to be watchful as the church, ready, available, looking for the opportunity to display the power of God that resides in us. After first service, you know how we go down, we pray for people, People were coming up to me and telling me about all the opportunity that they've had over the last couple of weeks to be a witness for God. Like, if that is happening in your life, please tell your pastors that. We want to rejoice with you and praise King Jesus. Because God will put all kinds of people in your pathway. But sometimes we're too busy. But we need to be watchful. Remembering that greater is he who is in me. At salvation, we receive the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
We are God's, we are on mission for God. And when we think of evangelism, we often think of premeditated. We often think people in our workplaces, family, people in our community. We often think, oh, I wish this person heard that sermon. Amen? Yeah, we think of that. But that's called premeditated evangelism. It's not wrong. It's what, what we do 99% of the time. But there's this 1%, these divine appointments that we pray for. We need to be watchful, looking, listening, living a witness. I didn't share this story in the first service, but I'll share it in the second service. Pastor Kelvin and I, a couple weeks ago, went out for dinner. We went out for lunch, and we were in line eating, and Pastor Kelvin struck up a conversation with a man. Remember? And he was telling about his life, and he was trying to figure it out. He was a young adult trying to figure out his life, and he was just restless. And at the end of the conversation, we're about to pay. He's making our food. Great conversation. Pastor Calvin looked at this man, and he said, I pray that you experience the peace of Jesus Christ in your life. Because it's only the peace of Jesus Christ that really will be able to sort all of these things out. And I pray that you would experience the same peace that we have in Jesus Christ by giving your life to him. He looked for an opportunity, and he just took it. Pastor Kelvin that day was watchful, looking for the opportunity. The Spirit-empowered witness can only give what we have been given, and we've been given the Spirit. The second thing we see here is the Spirit-empowered witness is committed to telling the truth. Let's go back to our scriptures. Let's look at 11 through 16. Let's see what they have to say. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, and all the people were astonished. And they came running to the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, important language, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. Though he had decided to let him go, you disowned the holy and righteous one, and you asked for a murderer to be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God. But God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. And by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you all can see. The spirit-empowered witness is committed to telling the truth. We see the healing of this man is now starting to draw attention from the people around in the temple. The text says the people were running towards him in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. And the man, the scriptures say the man is holding on to Peter. And when you actually look at the language of that, it's actually almost like a police grip. Have you ever been in the grip of the police? You're like, no, I don't, I'm going to talk about that. I'll give you a quick story. I was in Israel, and we had a shopping day. I might have shared this before. We had a shopping day, so I went alone, and I met some people from Alabama. Like, I love Alabama football, so as soon as they said they were from Alabama, we were instant friends, and we were walking around the temple. Well, we were going around that day, and I was going down. If you know the underneath of the temple, there's all these small passage corridor ways. We're talking. I'm not paying at all any attention of where I'm going. And then at one point, they said, okay, we're going to go this way. And I said, okay, see you later. God bless you. And I looked around, and I thought, I'm lost. I'm alone, and I'm lost. So I'll go straight. 
So I went down underneath, and I went into this open area, and it was where the Muslims prayed, and it was off limits to anybody except Muslims. Within two seconds, I had a female officer with an AK-47 on the front, two sidearms, grabbing me by the back, lifted me up like this. I was almost off my feet. She was smaller than me. She had me in a police grip, and I wasn't getting out. And she escorted me out of that area, yelling at me in multiple languages. I thought I was going to be in trouble. I'm like, I'm a pastor. I didn't know. But I wasn't getting away from this young, la this young lady who had me in a police grip. The man is holding on to Peter very tightly. And Peter takes this opportunity to be a witness. And he preaches his second sermon. Verse 12, he says that true power, this is his first point, I love it. True power comes from God, not man. Peter's preaching here. He says, fellow Israelites, we're going to come back to that statement in a little bit. He says, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by your own power or godliness, our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? This is, a, this is a, an important thing for us as the church when we are living as spirit-empowered people. There's a danger that people will think that we are powerful when we live as a spirit-empowered witness for Christ. There is a great danger that you will think you're powerful. When you start to trust in the Lord, things start to happen. And there's this danger that you think that you're doing this. Living as a spirit-empowered witness for Christ actually brings much attention to your community. As God has said that we will be his witnesses, if we are committed to following with what the, the Great Commission says, to go out and make disciples, if we were to get up here and go out and look for opportunities being watchful, God will bring people into our pathway. People will start getting saved, and the community is going to wake up and say, what is going on? That's exactly what is happening here. The community is saying, what is going on? That guy used to sit at the, ba the bagging post. I know him. Now he's jumping around. Living as a spirit-empowered witness for Christ will actually bring much attention to your life. People will start asking you, are you powerful? What's going on? Do you have the ability to do this? Do you have the ability to do that? And Peter is saying that we must be obedient not to steal the glory and power of God by forgetting to share where that power comes from. True power comes only from God, not from man. Second, second point, Peter expresses in verse 13 and 16 is this, that Jesus Christ is not dead. He is alive, he is glorified, and he is God, and that is true, amen? He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. Verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is by Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see with your own eyes. Peter takes the people directly to the source. It's all about Jesus. It's in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through believing in Jesus that this man was healed. It's like he's saying, you see, John and I, we believe in Jesus. We believe in his name. They're testifying. We have seen Jesus glorified. We have witnessed his majesty. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. That's what we testify to. Amen? Jesus is not dead. He's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us right now. Right now, Jesus is praying for his church. He's praying for us at this moment. That is beautiful. That's amazing. That's, a, that's something to shout and get excited about. We don't go through this life alone. We go through this life with Jesus. That's what he's saying here. He says, this, this man 
was healed by Jesus. And he actually says in the text, I love it, I know this sounds strange. And it would sound strange. But he says, let me tell you the truth. And then he goes on to share the sinful condition of the people he's witnessing to. And he comes pretty hard. He drops the hammer. He says, you killed Jesus. You killed the Son of God. The text says that you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. Though he had decided to let him go, you disowned the Holy One and Righteous One, and you asked for a murderer to be released from you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Verse 15 says, we are witnesses, witnesses of this. He's also saying, we are witnesses of your trespass, your treason, your sin. Peter is obedient in this moment to make sure he shares where the power comes from. It comes from Jesus, but he also takes a moment to point out sin, sin in people. He says that you killed the author of life. So the spirit-empowered witness, as we go out, we need to be committed to telling the truth. So the toolbox, spirit and word, W-O, the O is obedient. We are called to be obedient in sharing the truth of Jesus Christ and our sinful condition. As we go out into the marketplace, as we go to work, as we go to our families, as we go into the community, we need to be obedient. We need to share that Jesus came on a rescue mission. For God so loved the world, he came. We have to talk about how Jesus lived a perfect life. 1 Peter 2.22 says, in him was no deceit. He lived a perfect life. And that he died. He died on our behalf. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We talk about that Jesus, though he died, conquered the grave. He rose from the dead. Scripture says, do not be afraid, for I know the one you are looking for, Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen. Jesus is alive. He has risen from the dead. And we have to share that Jesus lives right now. Romans 8, 34 says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of, the, of God and is, in, as, and is interceding for us right now. So as we go out, we must be watchful, listening to the prompting and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. We must be obedient to share the truth, which includes talking about our sinful condition. That Jesus came, that he lived, he lived and he died and he rose and that Jesus lives today and he is the hope. That's our next point. The spirit-empowered witness offers hope. Let's look at our text and see what Peter has to say. Verse 17. Look at this language. Now, brothers, I'm going to come to that in a second. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Verse 19, repent, then, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Verse 22, for Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off 
from among the people. The spirit-empowered witness offers hope. Peter's language change, changes. Peter displays obedience in sharing the truth of Jesus Christ and our sin condition, but he doesn't leave the people without hope. He wasn't afraid to talk about sin. Churches today are afraid to talk about our sin. But when we know what we're saved from, oh, how we worship King Jesus. This is what is happening right here. Look at verse 12. Peter goes from men of Israel to brothers and sisters, to brothers. We see a grace-filled language. He begins to tell them. Peter, he preaches ignorance. He says, you didn't know what you were doing. We've heard that before, haven't we? That's the same language of Jesus in Luke 23, 34, when Jesus on the cross says, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. Brothers and sisters, you're guilty of a great sin, but you didn't know the ramifications of your actions, of your trespasses. Does that make the trespasses null and void? No, you're still guilty of a great sin, but our great God offers hope and he offers grace. Our God offers mercy and love towards his enemies. What happened to Jesus was not a surprise. Look what he says. He says, Peter shares Christ's suffering. He says, the Messiah would suffer. Christ's suffering was a part of the redemptive, redemptive plan of God. Christ's suffering did not surprise God. And Peter offers hope. Peter told the people that they were guilty of killing Jesus, but he taught that God would forgive their sins if they would repent and flee to the refuge that he had provided in Christ. As believers, we have to offer hope. Not be afraid to talk about sin, but also come alongside of that with the hope of Christ. And Peter says, repent. He actually says, turn to God. Actually, when you look at the scripture, it actually says, flee to God. Flee to God. Like, make this an urgency moment. Flee to God at this time. This is language of the Old Testament. In Numbers 35, we see that the Levites, the priests of God, set up these cities. They were called cities of refuge, six cities. And they were provided asylum for perpetrators who unintentionally ma committed manslaughter. So if you committed manslaughter, you could take the life of the person who did it. But if they got to one of these refuge cities, you couldn't touch them. Christ is the refuge city. That's what Peter's pre preaching here. That Christ is our refuge city. That when we repent, we turn from our ways, we acknowledge that we've sinned against God, and we flee to God, making it an urgency. We flee to God, as the text says, so that our sins may be blotted out and times of refreshing may come. The spirit-empowered witness offers hope. So we are watchful and we are obedient. But we are also redemptive, are redemptive. We are people who preach redemption. We tell people that Jesus came for sinners, that Jesus set the example for sinners, that Jesus died for sinners, that Jesus conquered death for sinners. But right now, here's the hope. Jesus intercedes for the saints. He has not left us alone. This is the message that we share as the church, the message of redemption. We are ambassadors of Christ Jesus as if he was making his appeal through us as we go about our days, as we go out into the community, as we get groceries, as we get gas. There are people around us and we need to be people who are watchful and when we feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit, we can't ignore that. We have to be obedient. 
and enter into the conversations. We have to talk about the hope and the redemption of Jesus Christ. And the last thing we see from our text is that a spirit-empowered witness shares the true miracle. We share the gospel of salvation. Let's finish up our text in 24. Peter says, Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many have spoken, have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant of God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Though you're off, through your offspring, all people on earth will be blessed. Look at how he ends his sermon. When God raised up his servant, he said him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The spirit-empowered witness shares the true miracle, the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation. Church, our message is real simple. It's four words. It's all about Jesus. Everything we do is about Jesus. We begin to struggle when we take our eyes and focus off of Jesus. But from Genesis to Revelation, 66 books, and you're living in the 66, it's all about Jesus. And the message is very direct. As he says in the text, from Abraham, Isaac to Jacob, from Moses to Samuel, from King David to now, it's all about Jesus, the true word, the word that became flesh. It's all about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. And when we die, if he either rends the heavens and comes back and takes us to be with him, or we get to go and be with Jesus, we will spend eternity praising Jesus. Amen? We need to know and we need to focus our attention while the days are evil on what is really true. Jesus is true. And the text is showing us something. It's very direct for us. You're either for God, which means you're either a child, an heir and co-heir with Christ, that you are forgiven of your sins, you're covered in the righteousness of Jesus, you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, and you're growing in the likeness of Christ as you work out your days, or you're an enemy of God. You're guilty of your sin. You're dead in your trespasses. You have no clue what I'm talking about because the word says that those who have not been regenerated don't understand the word of God. It's folly to those. But God extends grace so that you can understand the call in your life. But if you do not take the call, if you do not say yes to Jesus when he is calling you, you will face eternal judgment and eternal punishment, separation from God. That's why Peter is so direct. Flee to God while you have time. Run to him. Verse 23, it says that anyone who does not listen to the prophet will be completely cut off from the people. Church, it's all about Jesus. It's all about salvation. The whole book is the good news of Jesus Christ, his love for a people who chose to betray him, and he set forth a redemption plan, giving his own life as a ransom for his people. The risen King Jesus comes with salvation. The gospel message is the same today as it was at the very beginning. We may not have been around for Peter's second sermon, but it is still true. There has been millions upon millions who have heard the good news, just like us, hearing the good news here today and believed the gospel is for everyone. 
Verse 26 gives us a direct warning. Turn from your wicked ways and trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation. We need to be people who are direct. D, direct. Church, we must not be afraid to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ in a direct way. We, not, we must not be afraid to ask, do you know the Lord Jesus? We kind of assume just because we come in here that everyone is saved. But everyone is not saved who come here. We have visitors every day, every week coming into our church. And we need to be a people that are not afraid to say, do you know the Lord Jesus? Is he the Lord of your life? And if not, why not? Let me share the gospel with you. We must not hold back the power of the Spirit which empowers us to be his witnesses. You see, the miracle of the lame beggar was never about the beggar. He benefited, but it was all about the witness. You see, the Holy Spirit in our lives empowers us to be his witnesses. We are witnesses for Jesus. We get to tell of his great power. We get to share of our hope and faith in his name, the name above all names, to the whole world. We are spirit-empowered witnesses, and we must be watchful, listening to the prompting and guiding of the Holy Spirit. We must be obedient to share the truth. We must be people who are redemptive, offering hope, and we must be direct, share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the whole world. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power with, from the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in, and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As you sit here today, in a few moments you're going to get up and you're going to go about your day. And exactly what Jesus declared, if you have the Holy Spirit, you, uh, you are God's witness to the very ends of the world. And something is happening here. The whole world is coming here. We don't have to go around the world anymore. We need to. We, we still do missions, but people are landing here from all over the world. And God says, you're my witness. The same power is available to us today. So my final plea with us is, come, give your life to Jesus and get on mission. Amen? God has work for us to do. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your Holy Spirit who dwells within the believer. God, this morning I want to thank you for your holy word that never returns to you void. I want to ask you, God, to call out those who you want to save right now. Give them your Holy Spirit God, as they feel that prompting in their heart right now, may they be obedient to you. Your word says, do not harden your heart. The day of salvation is here. So God, I want to pray for the obedience of those. Give them the, the courage to say yes to you, Lord Jesus. God, I want to pray today for those who are here that need healing. I believe that you're a God of healing. I want to pray for those who need your care. Bring in those who've been lonely and alone for so long. Help them to know and realize and understand that they are a part of the church, the fellowship, that they are called to be on mission. God, I wanna pray that you would begin a new work in the lives of many today. And I pray and ask you to speak to your church now and call forth those who will begin to be watchful, observant, 
redemptive and direct. I ask these things for your namesake and for your glory, God. It's all about you, Jesus. I pray that you would bend your ear down as we worship you now. Please come and minister to us as we sing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Jordan, thank you for leading us in that song. That song's called The Goodness of Jesus, and it is true. The goodness, the goodness of Jesus. Come, you weary hearts, now to Jesus. It says, come, you anxious hearts, now and see. There is perfect love and comfort in your tears. Come and rest here in this wonderful place. If you do not know the, the Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to taste and see the goodness of Jesus. The word says, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Call upon him now. Invite him to be the Lord of your life. He sees you. He's calling you. For us who have tasted and we know the goodness of Jesus, I invite you to be people of the word. A people who are watchful and obedient, people that are redemptive and direct, remembering that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And it is by faith in the name of Jesus that we can do anything. We believe. I declare we believe. We have faith. We have his power to complete this mission. The mission is possible. We will be his witnesses to the very ends of the world. So let's look for people in our pathway. Let's be obedient to stop and share. Let's tell the truth about Jesus and the human condition of sin. Let us be direct in asking, do you know King Jesus? And may the results be God adding to Calvary and the kingdom those who are being saved so that they may be discipled. The word of God says the harvest is plentiful. And I believe the workers have shown up. We're here. So let's go and make disciples for King Jesus. Amen. Your pastors will be down front to pray with you. If you made a commitment to the Lord Jesus, if you have made him the Lord of your life, come share that with us so that we can pray with you, give you a resource. If you just need prayer, come. We will meet you at the front. If you're new to us, it's your first time ever, we want to encourage you to take a, a card from the seat, fill that out, go to our connections room. We have some pastors in there that want to bless you, give you a gift, and just connect with you. I hope you have a great day. God bless you. Amen.